Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts 16. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts, verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept. And uh, if you remember where we left off last week, remember there was a vision that Paul had. If In Acts 16, verse 9, says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So that was the vision that he had. It says, Now immediately after he had now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's so cool how the Lord is directing, guiding the steps of these beautiful people, these beautiful men of the Lord. And you know, as we go through in our study through the book of Acts, you're not going to see an absentee God. It, it pains me to say it that way. Sometimes this world testifies of, you know, uh, absentee dads, absentee moms, absentee husbands, absentee wives, just people who just check out and they're just like on their own program. You know, that's the world testifies of these things. And, you know, it's so it kills me sometimes to talk to young people who have absentee parents. And it's like, man, you know, it's like this concept of, you know, a loving father. It, it, it gets hindered by absenteeism when it, in regards to parenting. Because, you know, a child can be raised up by their parents and say, like, wow, you know, I have so much love in my home. I have so much love. My, my parents, they want the best for me. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get to an age of maturity where they can understand deeper things of the Lord. And there are passages in Scripture where the Lord says, How much more your Father in heaven. And you know what that does to a faith of a child? It's all of a sudden, it just blows up. Like, wow, my mom and dad, they blanket me with all this love. And then all of a sudden, how much more your Father in heaven, when they can understand these things, is so beautiful because you can have faith skyrocket. Absenteeism with regard to parenting, it can you know, go the other way, you know, like you see, like we're in the age of the, the space age again, you know, and you see the rockets go up, SpaceX, Boeing's going to have their program, all these different companies are going to have their different space programs, and you see the rocket go up, but you see their test rockets, sometimes the launch goes up, and then boom, it just blows up right there, you know, it gets a little bit off the ground, sometimes it doesn't even make it off the ground, and that's what absenteeism is like, you know, but it's so cool, and I, I don't mean to equate, you know, our Heavenly Father with earthly father, fatherly examples, poor examples. But man, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. It's so beautiful because it's like, wow, you see, he's very, very active with these people. Very active. If you remember last week, the Holy Spirit restricted them. You know, hey, you guys can't go into Bithynia. You guys uh, 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 can't go into Bithynia. You can't go into um, uh, uh, in Asia. You know, the verse 6 and 7. You can't go into Asia. You can't go into Bithynia. And then all of a sudden, there's the vision of Macedonia. And don't forget, in the region of Macedonia, you have several things going on here. In the region of Macedonia, you have the Philippian church. The Corinthian church, the Thessal Thessalonican church, and then you also have the Berean church. Now, there are letters that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippi you know, the book of Philippians. 
letters to the church in Corinth, letters to the church in, in Thessalonica. Very interesting how Corinth and uh, 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 in Thessal- uh, Thessalonica, they got two letters from Paul. Kind of like, you know, a little safety measure. The church in Philippi only got one letter. Not that that's a bad thing. You know, it's a beautiful thing because it's like, wow, you know, this church is on a, on a good track. But then there's also mention of the Bereans. It's not a letter that was written to the Bereans. But there is a verse that's mentioned about the Bereans, which we're going to touch on pretty soon. But you see, the Lord is very active. That's why you see, you know, when in, in Paul's journeys here, the Lord is directing him, you know, say, hey, they got the Macedonian call. To go, the Lord is calling them to go to Macedonia. But then at the same time, you know, 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, we're still to this very day being edified by these letters that Paul wrote to the churches. Still being edified. You can't tell me that the Lord didn't know what he was doing. You know, yeah, Paul, remember they were going into one region. And then the Lord says, no, I don't want you to go to that region. I want you to go to this other region. The people to be saved. There's people that need to hear this message. There's people that, you know, need to, not that to say that there's not people in other regions, but to be obedient to the calling of the Lord, following his, you know, how he guides, having ears to hear. That's what's so cool about intimacy with the Lord. You know, we, we, you know, we touched on that in Exodus and you know, Moses on the mountain. I, I have zero words, absolutely zero words. I'm a talkaholic. I have absolutely zero words to describe the beauty of intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, intimacy with Him. I don't have words. It's so incredibly beautiful. That, you know, it, 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 it's insane. It's crazy. And I mean, no disrespect to the Lord by calling it crazy. But fathom in your mind the creator of all things. And it's possible to have union with him, intimacy with him. Satan is the one that wants to put the blinders over your eyes. He doesn't want you to realize that. But it's true. And so look, in obedience to the calling and directing of the Lord, let's kick off in verse 11 where we left off last week. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. So, you know, they're sailing now. They're not walking. You know, they were walking before, you know, when they were on the land, but, you know, they could have taken the long route to go, you know, north and then cut west. But what they did is they jumped in a boat. And they were sailing. You know, it's so cool because God is the one who's directing them. God is directing them. And they're being obedient. And, you know, don't forget that, you know, in their obedience, you know, it's, it's you know, sometimes, you know, it, it, they could have walked it. You know, they could have, you know, gone north. And But it's so cool because it's like, you know, when the Lord directs your steps into one region, you know, sometimes the, it's just a question of, okay, get to that region. Get from point A to point B. You don't have to think like, okay, from point A, I'm going to do this, this, this. Sometimes you get details, but other times there's generalities. And always remember that because we're going to see that in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes there are very, very specific details. 
like the what Moses is receiving from the Lord, directions for uh, uh, the construction of the tabernacle, uh, uh, instructions for the, uh, 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 the, the, the clothing of the priests, and then at the same time, the, the, the instructions for the cleansing of the priests and making people right before the Lord as vessels. The Lord is using the priests as vessels. That's in our study in Leviticus. But then at the same time, you know, sometimes the Lord gives direction and there's generalities. You know, hey, you know, I'm, I want you to go to Macedonia. And, you know, it could be the Lord says, okay, I want you to get on a boat. Or the Lord says, okay, I want you to, you know, go north and walk it. But sometimes it's just, you know what, go to Macedonia. That's what's so cool about intimacy with the Lord. Is that sometimes He'll give generalities and sometimes He'll give very specific instruction. All you have to be concerned about are your ears. That's it. Your ears. And carnality will make you deaf. That's a step towards deafness. That's what carnality does. Reckoning the old man dead, the old woman dead, that's a step in the right direction because your ears will be finely tuned to holy things. And so look what happens here. You know, they, they, uh, uh, it says they sailed from Troas and they ran a straight course to Samothrace. That's a little small island. You know, you might have to Google it because depending on your Bible, if you look at the maps, there, there might not be a reference to Samothrace, but it's a little, little tiny island. So they go from Troas to Samothrace, and then the next day they come to Neapolis, which is, you know, it's, it's still under Rome. Rome is huge, but it's in a Grecian region where, you know, the, the Grecian Empire, before they were overtaken by Rome, the Grecian Empire, it was like, you know, it came into this region came into this area. So there are hardcore Grecian references. Still Roman, but just Grecian references. Kind of like that example I gave a couple weeks ago about, you know, Chinatown in New York City. You're in there, you, you, you think you're straight up in China. Like, whoa, this is wild. I mean, you got the smells of China. I've never been to China, but you got the smells of Chinese food. <laughs> you got the smells of Chinese food. You know, you see a bunch of Asians all over the place. You see like the the market, the street market, their fruits and veggies all over the place. And you go there, you know, you, the only way you know you're in America is you see all the cabbies all over the place. And then like, you know, it's like, wow, it feels like I'm in China. You get this, all this authentic, authentic Chinese food and, and, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden you get in the cab and you're in five minutes in the cab and you're in like, you know, Wall Street. Then, you know, 15 minutes in the cab and you're in, you know, uh, um, the, the, the center there, Broadway. And then, you know, a couple minutes in a cabbie and, and you're, you're at Central Park. You know, and you're in America, you're in New York, New York City, Manhattan Island. But then you get into Chinatown, you're like, wow, I'm straight up in China. So that's how it is. You got, you got to understand this because, you know, there's going to be references to all these Grecian gods. And you're going to be like, wait, are we in Greece? What's up? And you read the Bible, it's like, no, it's, you know, there's Grecian, major hardcore Grecian influences there. But then at the same time, it's still under the Roman Empire. And so look what happens here in verse 12. It says, and from there, and from there to Philippi, it's the Philippian church. 
So as they're going, you know, they, the Lord is calling him to the region of Macedonia. Remember, they're still scattering seeds. You know, planting seeds. What we saw last week and, and the week prior is they, they planted seeds and then they watered seeds. Because remember, it says uh, uh, when uh, in verse 36 of chapter 15, it says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. So in this verse alone, you see a picture of them planting seeds because he says uh, uh, where we have preached the word of the Lord. That's the planting aspect. And then, and see how they were doing. That's the watering aspect. So, planting and watering. That's what Paul says. You know, you, me, all we can do is plant or water. It's God who gives the increase. That's so, you know, a, a very personal between God and a person. Between you and God. It's very personal what the increase is in your life. But I tell you the truth. Carnality, you'll become more deaf. With carnality, you'll become more blind. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you are more inclined to not have increase in your life. The question is, are you reckoning the old man dead and the old woman dead? You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Well, say, for example, you're a former crackhead or you're a former prostitute. And you're alive in Christ now. That's your old nature. You've repented of those sins and now you're alive in Christ. Well, you know, you're still going to have carnal inclinations. But when you reckon the old man dead, you reckon the old woman dead, you're going to say, no, I'm not going to be a prostitute anymore. I'm not going to be a crackhead anymore. And it's not just like a hardcore denial of those things. You know, that's good. A hardcore denial of those things. But then at the same time, when you're in the word and when you're on your knees before the Lord and you're praying, supernaturally, the Lord is going to change your heart. He's going to transform you by renewing of your mind. Before, your mind have been, might have been in the, the gutter, like the total filth of the world. You know, oh yeah, I want a crack pipe. You know, give me my crack. Oh yeah, I'm going to go, you know, be with the prostitute. Or, you know, yeah, I'm going to go be a prostitute. Or, you know, the, that's what I'm talking about, like the filth. But then at the same time, you know, it's to say, wow, you know, come out of that lifestyle. Come out of her, my people. And you deny those things. I got to tell you, you know, if you're caught up in certain lifestyles, not to say, you know, you're filth. To say, you're stuck in the filth. The same way I was. I'm trying to say, you know, let's get out of the dumpster, you know. Hold my hand. Let's climb out of this dumpster. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And you have a renewing of your minds. And then all of a sudden, you might have one day where you're like, man, I missed my crack. And then all of a sudden, you know, by renewing of your minds, you're getting closer and closer to the Lord. And it's like, man, I don't want crack anymore. I don't want the prostitute anymore. I don't want the alcohol anymore. Your friends call you, hey, let's go to the strip club. That's not even me anymore. That's the old nature. You know, you go out to eat, your friends say, oh yeah, you know, I'll take a beer. This guy's going to have a beer too. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm not down with that. I'll have a water. 
you know, give me some milk. And then all of a sudden, you know, your friends might start to hate you, but you stand for the Lord. Maybe some of your friends, you're going to attract some of your friends. They say, hey, let's come to church. Come to church with me. You know, or, you know, here, listen to this, listen to this service, listen to this sermon. You're being changed. You're being transformed by renewing of your minds. So it's not just, you know, wrecking the old man dead. And like, you know, there's a hardcore stance of like reckoning the old man dead in, in, for religion's sake. It's to say, you know, sometimes you have to take a hardcore approach like, no, I'm not messing around with this stuff anymore. And that's like closing the door to the old nature. And then all of a sudden you close the door and the door is open to Jesus Christ. And you learn from him. He teaches you. He shows you things from scripture. You know, don't pray to the angels. Don't pray to, you know, Buddha. And then all of a sudden you're a new creation in Christ. And you go back into the world and you're different. Just like Moses went back to Egypt and he was different. Paul, he spent some time. He didn't want to, you know, he says, I, you know, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He wanted to spend some time with the Lord. And then the Lord says, okay, I want to use you now. Go back. That's what's so cool. It's not like sometimes Christians, we get this idea where we got to, you know, head for the hills and retreat. I hate that word. It's not a matter of retreating. It's a matter of, you know what, having intimacy with the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And then sometimes he'll say, you know, in, in his timing, he'll say, okay, now you're ready. I want to use you. And he'll give you instruction. And because you've learned to be intimate with the Lord, you've learned intimacy with the Lord, your ears are going to be finely tuned. Okay, the Lord is calling me from point A to point B, so I'm going to go. The Lord is calling me from point B to point C, and this time he gave me specific details, so I'm going to do this now, just like he told me to. And then from point C to point D, and then, you know, I got to think in my head, make sure D is after C. Yeah, so. <laughs> and then, you know, the Lord is giving me specifics between, you know, A-2, you know, or B-3. Or maybe it's just generalities. Regardless of generalities or specifics, what's beautiful is that your ears are in tune to the Lord. Not craziness, not crazy town. And that's what you see today. People tossed to and fro by various kinds of doctrine. It's one of the signs of the last days. No one is adhering to sound doctrine. So if you're ever in your mind like, wow, everybody's crazy. You know, the world is crazy. Number one, make sure you're not crazy. You know, it's like, man, everybody's crazy. Everybody's crazy. And, you know, the doctors, you know, prescribe some medication to you, you know, make sure you're not crazy. But when you're in the word and you're in the Lord and you're abiding in Christ, the world is going to get crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier to the point where they're going to want to kill you. They will hate you. The world will hate you. You say, oh, that's too much. What do you mean the world wants to kill me? Well, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Persecution of Christians. 
They just chopped up a, a teenager in India by the radical Hindus. You say, I thought Hindu was a people of peace. And you might think they're a people of peace. But you know what? When somebody stands for righteousness and somebody stands for Jesus Christ, don't forget they hated him first. And they killed him. He chopped up a kid. Chopped him into little pieces. A Christian boy. Three years in the faith. And you know what? In faith, in Christ, we're going to meet him one day. So, yeah, it's terrible. It's sad that he's gone from this earth. But then at the same time, I'm kind of jealous because he's in paradise with the Lord. Persecution in Arab countries. Persecution in Russia, China, North Korea. Persecution in America. You know, maybe it's not at the scale you see in other countries, in Western cultures. But it's coming. We were told of these things. Who are the ones who have ears that are finely tuned to the leading of the Lord? Let's look at what happens here in verse 12. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So it's like the first city of that part of Macedonia, which is a colony. And it says, and we were staying in that city for some days. Remember, Dr. Luke is writing this. So, you know, notice all the we's, you know, the we's, the us's, because they're together. This entourage of holy men, it includes Paul, Luke, Dr. Luke, who also wrote, you know, the book of Luke, and he wrote Acts, and then Silas and little Timothy, young Timothy. We talked about him last week. We talked about the makeup of Timothy in this home with mama and grandma. And so look what happens here in verse 12. It says they were staying in that city for some days. In verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. We're going to chop up this verse a little bit. Because it's so beautiful what's happening here. Number one, it's the Sabbath day which is a day of rest. And I don't know if these women gathering there, if they're Jew or Gentile, I don't know. And I love the fact that I don't know. I love the fact that it's not made clearly evident in Holy Scripture. But in verse 13, it's, in the, it's the Sabbath day, which is a day of rest. And, you know, this entourage of holy men, they go out of the city. And they were in Philippi, remember. They go out of the city, and then they go to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. It says, we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, I love this so much because you have this small entourage of godly men, and then they go and they meet with the group of women there. And there's no, no, no hitting on them, you know? I don't mean, you might in your mind be like, what in the world? Why did you say it that way? No hitting on them. Because what do you see in the church today? You see so much carnality in the church today that, you know, a, a, a couple guys meet with a group of women and they'll be like, you know, you know, what's your name? You know, kind of thing. You see, I mean, I've talked with women before, you know, a very well-respected uh, ministry leader in the community. I could name his name, but I'll re refrain from doing that. An elder in a, you know, a, a, a church. 
And I talk to a lady and she tells me, yeah, this guy, you know, propositioned me, made a proposition to me, sexual, sexual favors. And I'm listening to him like, what in the world? Like this guy is well-respected. And it wasn't like an accusation, like, you know, accusatory in terms of, you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to plot against this guy. But we're living in a day and age where you have two-faced actors, hypocrites, people who are playing the part, playing a role. You know, the hypocrite, they, that's what they used to call actors, hypocrites in the, in, in the Greek. And be a mask, you know, you have a happy face and then a sad face mask. And then the actor would put it on their face because what they're doing is they're playing a part. But that's what you have among the leadership in churches today. Not all churches. But hypocrisy. From the leadership, elders, pastors, deacons, Bible teachers, giving heed to doctrines of demons. It's one of the signs of the last days. Giving heed to doctrines of demons, which means they turn their back on the Bible. They turn their back on the word of the Lord. They turn their back on Jesus Christ. Because remember, the word became flesh. So they're in the position of, you know, pastor. They're in the position of elder. They're in the position of Bible teacher. And what do they do? They turn their back on Jesus Christ and give heed to doctrines of demons. And then they go and teach God's people. Two-faced. So these, these godly men here in verse 13, this entourage of Paul, Luke, Silas, and young Timothy. They meet with the women. They sat down and they spoke to the women who met there. They're not hating on them. They're not, you know, being flirtatious or anything. And I know it sounds like it, it rubs you the wrong way to even say that or even suggest that. And I'm not suggesting it. I'm making the contrast between the church back then and the church in the book of Acts and the church today. Or I should say Christians in the book of Acts, this entourage of godly men and, you know, quote unquote, godly men of today. I'm making that specific distinction because I want you to understand these things. And we're going to see why in a little bit. It has a lot to do with spiritual warfare. Combat, hand to hand combat in the spiritual realm. God doesn't like hypocrites. We're going to see in the Old Testament what happens with hypocrites. Hypocrite priests. We're going to see in the Old Testament what happens with hypocrite kings, hypocrite rulers. It doesn't turn out well for them. The Lord doesn't like it. Just like Jesus Christ says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. I'm going to vomit you out in Christ. And the Lord says, I'm going to vomit you out. That's what being lukewarm does. So, you know, I know sometimes I've been accused of being overly hardcore when it comes to doctrine. You hear me say, there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to live. But it's also to say, don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. That's my hardcore exhortation to you. 
If you're in a position where you're cold or lukewarm, get out of that lifestyle. Make changes in your life. Make changes in your life. There's a purpose behind these exhortations, which we're going to get to in a little bit. So look what happens here. You know, they sat down. They spoke to these women who met there. And, you know, they're spirit-filled men, spirit-led men. And then all of a sudden, they're meeting with this group of women on the Sabbath day, a day of rest. Where are the men? Where are the men? You know, resting at home, probably. But, yeah, even in a day of rest, that doesn't mean, you know, you know rest includes, you know, no prayer. It doesn't mean, you know, just sit there and do nothing. I mean, there's an aspect of, you know, doing nothing and resting. But don't forget your prayer life before the Lord. You have your day of rest. You say, yeah, it's in the Bible, day of rest. I need my day of rest. You get your day of rest. And what do you do? You know, you're sitting on the couch all day. Don't get me wrong. I like days of rest too. And I do watch TV. I watch movies. I watch sports. But then at the same time, it's to say, wow, you know what? Let's turn off the TV and let's be in the Word and let's pray. I'm not working, but I want intimacy with my Lord. That's what I love about these women. It's so cool. These women, are they Jew? Are they Gentile? I don't know. You know, what's interesting about Jewish custom is is that, you know, it would take 10 men to form a synagogue in Jewish tradition. Ten men, you have a group of ten men, they would meet, and that's what would form a synagogue. And women weren't allowed in synagogue. Some churches, like the liberal churches in these days, they would have a certain section of the church where women can meet. But the mainline meeting under synagogue, under Jewish law, the, the women couldn't participate. What does that say of the women? Where do they go to worship the Lord? And we're going to see this hardcore contrast in the law where women are kind of um, not like the women of the New Testament. It's the contrast of the law and grace. And when I say not like the women of the New Testament, there's you know a different, uh, different law under the, 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 the church age. And, you know, Made by the fulfillment of the law. Remember, in Christ, there's no uh, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. God is no respecter of persons. But in the law, there are you know very specific guidelines for women, just like there are very specific guidelines for men. There's a reason behind it all. Remember, a shadow of the things to come, the things in the law. Things in the Old Testament are a shadow of the things to come. So I don't know what, you know, these women, this group of women, I don't know what their story is. As a congregation, as a grouping, and then individually, we're going to get a little picture of one of them. But I think it's so cool that on the Sabbath, you know, they take a break. They come outside of the city. They meet at the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Maybe prayer was customarily made on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday. But no, on the Sabbath, you have these faithful women. 
And here they are. This divine appointment. For such a time as this, you have this little entourage of godly men who meets up with these beautiful women. In verse 14, it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. And I love Lydia so much. Liddy. Good old Liddy. I can't wait to meet her. I cannot wait to meet this girl. And so it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia, also known as Liddy. That's her slang name. That's my slang name. Forgive me, Lord. I'm not, you know, but beautiful Liddy. Heard us. Translates as gave ear to us. Gave ear to us. My question is, who do you lend ear to? Who do you lend ear to? Do you lend ear to Jesus Christ in His Word? Or do you lend ear to, you know, whatever's playing on TV? Dirty movies on the TV. Dirty shows on the TV. Dirty, you know, radio. Music. Or do you lend ear to Jesus Christ and His Word? You know, I know this sounds hardcore to say it that way. But then at the same time, you start to understand these things. You know, it's very interesting who the Lord, the response that the Lord has for people who seek His face. Male, female, young, old, Old Testament and New Testament combined. Very interesting to see how the Lord responds to those who seek His face and those who honor Him. You know, having ears finely tuned to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. It's not to be legalistic and say, hey, you know what? No TV. Hey, no music. Hey, no, you know, don't do this, you know. Don't go shopping. Don't go to the mall. Don't do this. You know, that's, you know, sometimes people are uh, heavy handed in these things. It's not to be heavy handed. It's to, you know, present the option. You see these people in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, who make hardcore choices for themselves and also for their homes. They make these hardcore choices. And then you see how the Lord responds to those people. Just like what's happening with beautiful Liddy here. She gave ear to this entourage, Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy. She gave ear to them. She was a seller of purple. You know, I have to say something about certain colors, blues, reds, purple, you know, the combination of blue and red. It's reserved for royalty, the wealthy class. Very, very, we're spoiled today. You can go to the dollar store and buy, a, you know, a, a, a purple shirt. Well, I think you can. You can buy some kind of cloth that's purple. I think. <laughs> you can go to a cheap store, you know. Go to a secondhand store, you know, and buy a purple shirt. We're spoiled. There's, you know, you can make a dye at home. But back then... Getting special dyes, special fabrics, that it was very expensive to do that. Very, very expensive to do that. A lot of times they would have to travel to other regions, like, like straight up in, in, in regions of China. 
you know they, they had like the expensive perfume we talked about in in uh uh in Matthew you know the expensive perfume the essential oils these are things that were gathered in like the regions of the Himalayas it's like whoa you know it's it's to travel now you know is relatively cheap you know we're spoiled in this modern day technologies that we have now but back then, it was very difficult to get certain dyes, to manufacture the dyes, let alone to get the fabric, but then to make the combination. And it was a very, very expensive endeavor. And you know, when I say this, it was a color that was reserved for royalty and the wealthy class, is because it was expensive material. I mean, you, you go to the 99 cent store today, you buy a purple shirt. You go to the second hand store, buy a purple shirt, a couple bucks. Back then, it wasn't a couple bucks. It took a lot of money to do it. But then it also took a lot of money, you know, to, to pay for it and buy it and wear it. It took a lot of money. So her clientele, Lydia's clientele, upper class, the wealthy class, people who could afford her product. A seller of purple translates as she was a tradeswoman in the industry. You know, that's part of the reason too. I like I like Lydia on several, you know, multiple levels. One of them is, you know, so far, there's going to be more, but, you know, so far, she lent ear. She gave ear to this entourage, this holy entourage of men. Remember, there's no... No, no sexual connotations here at all. And I say that again because, you know what? We have this carnal mindset today. And you know what? I get it because it's based on, you know, of course, carnality. But it's based on what we see in the churches today. Well, you know, you have like, you know, a big church here in, in our community, in our area. They had like a, a dating, like a dating thing, a dating night, you know, where a group of men would come together, a group of women would come together, and it was all for like dating. They had to cancel it quickly because it turned into like, you know, crazy town. It got pretty, it got pretty ugly, got pretty nasty, got pretty disgusting. But they had to shut it down immediately. You know, it's like I get why people want like a pastor would say, oh, yeah, let's have this. Let's bring people together. But I would call that, I would call that manipulation and chore, choreography. Because at what point did you know the elders, the pastors, come together, fall on their knees, and say, "Lord, you know, we see a lot of single men, we see a lot of single women, and you know, we'd like to bring them together, you know, but we want to do it in Your will." And the Lord says, "No, don't do that." But no, instead they say, "Well, you know what." This seems like a good thing to do, so let's go ahead and do it. That's what I'm talking about when I when I say sensitivities to the Lord. Sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. It's for His glory. It's not for glory of man. It's not to say, wow, you know, look how cool you can be if you have intimacy with the Lord. I mean, I tell you the truth. You have intimacy with the Lord, people will hate you. In, in accordance with this world, there's absolutely no glory in that. 
to a carnal world. There's no glory in having intimacy with the Lord. In, you know, glory of man. But between you and the Lord, it's... I can't describe it. What words? I don't have words to describe it. And so there's like no sexual connotations here with Lydia and these men. And you know, this group of women and this small group of guys. No, zero sexual connotations, implications, nothing. If you're... If you're calloused by what you see in the world, if you're calloused by what you see in the church today, that's the work of man. I know churches where it's like, man, they have, there's some sexual issues here. Predator pastors, predator elders, predator youth leaders. Praying on little boys, praying on little girls for their sexual pleasure. And I know it pains you like, why are you saying this? Why are you bringing this stuff up? I'm making the contrast between the church back then and the church today so that you can understand. You've heard me say in previous studies through the book of Acts, this is a different church. These are different Christians. The Christians you see today, are they like the book of Acts? You might say yes. Praise be to the Lord. But I bet you you're going to say no. Because you have, okay, yeah, we're going to have men's Bible study. You know, we're going to meet over here at this bar because, you know, it's happy hour and we can get cheap beer. And you see a group of guys, they open up their Bibles and they have their glasses of beer right there. One finishes their beer. They, you know, they say, okay, I'm done. Let me have another one. They get another one. Oh, it's cheap. We're having fellowship. We have our Bibles open. And one of them is getting tipsy. He gets drunk. That's the stupidity of the last days. By false shepherds. And you say, why are you even talking like this? Why are you even saying this? Well, this exists in our church today. This exists. That's why I'm bringing this up. So you to help you make the distinction the difference between the church in the book of Acts and the church today. And if the church today, if the words that I'm saying describes your church, your fellowship, wherever it is that you meet, is to say, no, you know what? Get your mind in the word of God. Get your heart in the word of God. And then you go and you talk to your pastor, you go and you talk to your elder and you say, hey, you know what? We got to stop this, you know, men's meeting at the, at the at the at the bar we got to stop doing this because it brings dishonor to the lord and they say they they're, they're going to tell you oh you're such a legalist it's not legalism you know the carnal create an excuse the carnal are the ones who call it legalism because it goes against their law which is lawlessness. The choice. You have a choice to make. But, you know, just like Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. That's a choice that you're going to have to make. For you and your home. And so it says here in verse 14, 
And she, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Now, what's interesting here, Thyatira, when you look at the map, it might not be in your map in, the, in, 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 the, in your Bible. If you have a, a Bible with maps, it might not be there, Thyatira. But it's in the, re it's in the mainland. So, you know, here they, you know, they, they, they got on a sailboat. And here it's more toward the mainland, toward uh, Antioch. The, the, the Antioch that's northwest of Jerusalem. So it's a pretty big distance from where they're at, where these, these, this group of women are meeting from Thyatira. It's a huge distance. And yet here Lydia is for a divine appointment for such a time as this, to have this entourage of godly men come meet with this group of women. And then Lydia, she gave ear to them. She's from the city of Thyatira, verse 14, who worshipped God. Man, I love Lydia so much. She's almost like a female Cornelius. Remember we studied Cornelius a couple, a couple chapters ago? She's almost like a female Cornelius. And, you know, if you're listening to this message for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about? Who's Cornelius? Go to Acts 10. Listen to our study in Acts 10. And you'll see what I'm talking about with Cornelius. She's almost like a female Cornelius. It says here who worshipped God at the end of verse 14. Or in the middle. <clears throat> and it translates as revered God. Adored God. Was devoted to God. And worshipped God. You see? You know, if there's any single men, single boys, single young men. Listening to these words of mine, let the word of God show you what beauty is when you seek out a bride, when you seek out a woman who you could say, hey, will you marry me? When you seek companionship, let the word of God, when he transforms your mind, the world, the world has its own idea of what beauty, what that looks like. The world, you know, you see it all over the place. I feel bad for girls, little girls, because, you know, they like, wow, if I want to be pretty, I got to look like this. If I want to be pretty, I look like, you know, got to look like this freak show who wears, you know, 10 pounds of makeup. You know, I'm an artist by trade. You know, I've had an empty canvas before. I know what an empty canvas is. You can use anything as a canvas. And you can turn it Beautiful. That's why I hate makeup. I don't like makeup. Because it's like, you know, guys get married and then, you know, they wake up the next day. It's like, surprise. <laughs> you know, I don't like makeup. But if there's any young men listening or single guys, you know, you let the word of God show you what beauty is. You let the Lord tell you what beautiful is. Let him define what beauty is. Because it has nothing to do with what the world calls beautiful. Nothing at all. That's part of the, you know, the, the, the renewing of your mind. The spiritual transformation. You've heard me say before, you know, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, if you said, uh, you know, hey, show me, you know, give me like your, the five most beautiful women. You know, you'd get mad at me 25 years ago. But today, five, you know, five most beautiful women, who are they? 
Every single one, everyone who's hearing these words, every single one, if I told you these are the five most beautiful, you think I was blind. You think I was blind. Because you know what happens when you're in the Word of God? The Lord will show you what beauty is. And I'm saying for men, but you know, for women too, the Lord will show you what beautiful is. If there's any single women listening, you know, young ladies, you know, I don't care, you know, if he has, you know, ripped abs. I don't care if he looks like, you know, I don't, whatever, you know, you guys like. I don't care what he looks like. If it's what the world describes as beautiful, that's the world. You let the word of God tell you what beautiful is in a man and then also in a woman. And then you pray. And you know, when you're like, you know, in courtship, you know, that process of courtship. I don't want to call it process, but when you, you know, pray and you, 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 say, you know, you, you meet and, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> you pray and the Lord will bring two together. Though that's how he works. And you say, hey, can you do marriage counseling? I'll say, yeah, let's do marriage counseling. And then two months later, you say, okay, we're not going to get married. <laughs> No, it's so cool. I mean, it's so cool because the Lord desires godly offspring. He desires godly offspring. The question is, who's going to choose, you know, to, to be obedient to the Lord? I have no idea what Lydia looked like. I don't care what she looked like. You know, the Lord is showing us a picture of her heart. That's what's beautiful. Because it's a heart that's given to the Lord. Lydia, who worshipped the Lord, worshipped God. She revered God. She adored God. She was devoted to God. She worshipped God. And she's kind of in a leadership role. Maybe this group of women, maybe she's like the head. Maybe she's leading their prayer group on a Sabbath day, which is a day of rest. If they were Jewish, they have every right to be at home just kicking back. Maybe she's a Gentile. I don't know. But I love it so much because she's like, you know what? It's the Sabbath day. We could be at home. Let's kick back. But no. Hey, ladies, let's get together. Let's go to this river, but this place by the water. And you know what? Let's worship the Lord there. Let's pray. Let's make our prayer needs known. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Very hardcore message for women's leaders too. Because you see a picture of, you know, not just selflessness, ears lent to the Lord, but hearts given to Him. She's a business lady too. I really like Lydia. I love Lydia so much. Look at what happens here. It says she was a seller of purple. She's in the trade industry from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And then look here in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. And this word for opening of her heart, it's to open thoroughly as a newborn baby. As a newborn. To open thoroughly. It says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. To pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. That's how it translates. You see... This is a major divine appointment here. 
So you see, you know, the, the Lord knows what he's doing, obviously. But this Macedonian call that they had in our study last week, what we just picked up on in verse 9, the vision, you know, in the, in the vision that appeared to Paul in the night, the man of Macedonia who stood there and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's such a multifaceted ministry, this calling that Paul received for this small entourage of just one, two, three, four guys. Paul, Luke, Silas, Timothy. Four people. Four people. Because 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, to this day we're still being edified. What about, you know, back then? Lydia and the women were being edified. They were certainly edified. In going into the region of Macedonia, Philippi was edified. The church was born. Corinth was edified. Thessalonica was edified. The Bereans were edified. So you see how beautiful it is to have this intimacy with the Lord. Because yeah, Paul, this entourage, they could have said, okay, yeah, we're you know, we're we're hardcore about the mission. We're hardcore about the call, so let's go out and do this. We're hardcore about the work of the Lord. And it's not a bad thing to be hardcore about the work of the Lord. My only warning is do not ever, 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 do not ever forget the Lord of the work. In the work of the Lord, never ever forget the Lord of the work. You know, I'll give you modern day examples. The Methodists, the Lord of the work is forgotten. The Lutherans, modern day Lutheranism, the Lord of the work is forgotten. Episcopals, the Lord of the work is forgotten. You know, Church of England, the Lord of the work is forgotten. You say, wow, these are like Protestants. I don't care. You look at the very early beginnings of the, you know, the, these movements. People who came out of Rome, Roman Catholicism, when they started to understand the Bible, you know, they, they were the learned class and then they become priests. You know, it's very expensive to be a priest, you know, because you have to be educated. And education is very expensive. It's expensive today, but it was way expensive back then. You have the, the poor class. You know, if you were born in poverty, you're going to die in poverty, pretty much. There's, you know, certain exceptions. But it's not like today where you can be born in poverty and climb your way out of it. It's not like today <clears throat> in Western cultures. Despite what people say. You know, you're born into poverty back then, like in the, you know, 1400s, 1300s. You're born into poverty. You're going to die into poverty. So is the wealthy class who could afford to send their kids to college. And the kids would go to college. They would enter seminary. You know, a lot of these university type institutions were faith based in accordance with Roman Catholicism. And so a kid would be in university and start to learn Latin, start to learn Greek, start to learn Hebrew, start to learn all these languages. And then they would go to the original manuscripts and they start to realize, wait a second, Roman Catholicism is wrong. So 
we're going to get out of it. One of them is, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin. All these different people. There's more. You know, part of this reformation. But it's like, okay, like, like John Calvin, he came out of Roman Catholicism and then started his own crazy town. Geneva. Martin Luther came out of Catholicism, except, you know, he should have done what he did to the New Testament. He should have done that with the Old Testament. Or, you know, once he was done focusing on the New Testament, he should have focused on the Old Testament. You know, of course, time is a lot of time, you know, back, you know, we're spoiled today in the YouTube generation. So, you know, easier said than done to look at old Hebrew manuscripts and have access to those manuscripts and then, you know, start to translate book by book by book by book. You know, we only have one life to live. But Martin Luther could have gone further. And so you look at the Lutherans who adhere to that doctrine. And, you know, the work of the Lord, there's heavy emphasis on the work of the Lord, which isn't a bad thing. The work of the Lord. The Episcopals, the, the Lutherans, the Methodists, all these people, the work of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what happens when the Lord of the work is forgotten? I'm not speaking negatively about the idea of, you know, feeding the homeless, you know, being loving towards people. You know, we're commanded to be loving. We're commanded to be generous. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But when you forget the Lord of the work, something happens. Satan can come in and twist everything. So you look at modern day Lutheranism, modern day Episcopals. When the Lord is forgotten, you can't call it the work of the Lord anymore. That's why, you know, one of the signs of the last days is that no one will adhere to sound doctrine. It's a sign. Remember, in order, the only ones who can biblically, biblically, in accordance with sound doctrine, the only ones who can identify the Antichrist are the ones who adhere to sound doctrine, Christians, Bible-believing, Bible-adhering Christians, Bible-living Christians. Those are the only ones. And so what does Satan do? In the attempt to blind you, he'll muddy the water. He'll muddy the water. And he's very effective at doing that in people's lives, in churches. Very, very effective. And that's what's so cool here about the Lord being merciful and gracious and loving upon Lydia. Because he sees her heart. He sees her heart. And here in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart, opened thoroughly as a newborn to heed and pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. It says to heed the things spoken by Paul, but it translates pay attention. To pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. You see this divine appointment. Being attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the you know, Paul, this entourage, they say, okay, we're going to go over here. They had no idea that they were going to encounter Lydia and this group of women. No idea whatsoever. But yet, here they are. Here they are. 
a group of women and a small group of guys. No carnality, no nothing crazy going on, nothing sexual going on. And the Lord has opened her heart. That's why I say she's kind of she reminds me of like a female Cornelius. This beautiful divine appointment. Verse 15. <clears throat> and when she and her household were baptized. So it's like. Where's the man in her life? It, it, it doesn't say. You won't find scripture that says, okay, was Lydia married? Did she have a husband? Maybe a non-believing husband? I don't know. It doesn't say. But yet you see this role in her home where she's like the head of the household. The man? You know, forgive me for saying this, fellas. Not needed for Lydia. I don't know if she had, you know, maybe she had an unbelieving husband. I don't know. I think a lot of young women, young ladies, they get this idea where it's like, man, you know, if I want to be pleasing to the Lord, I have to get married, submit myself to him and all these things. And, you know, that's fine. If the Lord is directing you in that direction, you know, that's fine. But it's perfectly okay to stay single, too. Because you will have a husband. Capital H in the life to come. You know, the bridegroom. He's not called the bridegroom for nothing. To my single sisters. You're not called the bride of Christ for nothing. There is going to be a marriage one day. A lot of young females grow up because, you know, they, they learn these things from the churches they go to. And the pastors say, you know, wives, you know, submit to your husbands, you know, please the Lord by submitting to your husbands. And then these little girls grow up there, you know, eight years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. They grow up little teenagers and they think like, wow, you know, if I want to be a good Christian, I have to, you know, get married and bear children. It's like, <laughs> wait a second. Paul is the one who says, you know what? It's better to stay single. He, that was his suggestion that he made. He says, you know what? This isn't doctrine. I'm not speaking doctrinally. I'm just making a suggestion. You know why? He says, because you can please the Lord freely. Freely. You don't have to be concerned about this, that, other things, whatever. I mean, look at uh, a husband. Look at the responsibilities a husband has. Look at the responsibilities a wife has. Look at the responsibilities a dad has. Look at the responsibilities a mom has. And Paul says, you know what? It's better not to you know, have those responsibilities because you can freely serve the Lord. And I'm not speaking negatively about those things. Paul just makes mention of something better. From the perspective of a guy who did it himself. And he was free in that regard, in those regards. And, you know, you hear people say like, wow, you know, why is it that Paul wrote most of the, 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 the New Testament? Well, number one, the Lord used him. But then number two, it's like, 
he, there were no other responsibilities. That was his calling in life. And for single people, a lot of single people get kind of depressed because they're like, you know, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. And they're 20. Their, kid, their friends are getting married. 25, all their friends are getting married. 30, their friends are married. You know, 40, everybody's married. Everybody has kids and they're single. Single lady, 40 years old. Single guy, 40 years old. And they get kind of depressed like, wow, you know, how come I was left out? Well, number one, you know, people are single because, you know, for a reason sometimes. And I don't mean to, you know, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But, you know, sometimes people are single for a reason. But then sometimes people are single because they want to serve the Lord without hindrance. Don't forget, male, female, never forget the bridegroom. He's coming. And you are the bride of Christ. You will be married one day. Today, serve Him. Fully and completely serve Him. It's so beautiful, these things that we learn from Scripture. And so, you know, it begs the question, verse 15, it's like, where's her husband? No mention of her husband. Maybe she didn't have one. I don't know. But then look what happens here in verse 15. It says, when she and her household were baptized... It says, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I love this. You know what's so beautiful about this? You know what it says? So she persuaded us. It translates as that she forced and compelled. She forced and compelled us. Is what Dr. Luke is writing about this historical account. She forced and compelled us. Remember, She's a woman of industry, a tradeswoman. You know, she's a business owner. So, you know, she does that for a living. She wills and deals for a living. And here she is, you know, not really wheeling and dealing with this entourage of godly men. When it says she persuaded us, it translates in the Greek as she forced us and compelled us. Have you ever met a person like that, male or female? Mostly it's female. In my experience, mostly it's female. You know, where there's the compulsion. When I first met my wife, well, she wasn't my wife, but, you know, she was a girl. Well, I mean, she still is a girl, but I met, like, you know, I met her. She was young. I was young, and I met her, and then I met her mom. <laughs> then I met her family. And I remember we, we met for, like, this picnic and, like, this, this, you know, this gathering, family gathering, and I was just, like, there. And then you know, her, I met her aunt, and she just kept feeding me. And then my, her mom and her aunt, they just kept feeding me and like insisting, you know, it's kind of like cultural too. You know, if you, a lot of cultures, if you, if you, uh, if you refuse to eat what the, you know, the, the woman of the house is offering, it's offensive to them. So it's like, you know, she just kept feeding. I was stuffed and you know, it was like offensive to, to not eat. So I was like compelled to eat. So I had to eat more and more and more. So I, I blame my chubbiness on that. But you see, that's what I see here with Lydia. Like, you can't, she's not going to take no for an answer. She's like, no, you know, come and stay at my house. You know what I love about this? 
in real time, we're seeing God's provision on multiple levels. God's provision and grace and mercy and love upon Lydia and this group of women that met, you know, at the riverside. On the day of Sabbath when they didn't even have to. I would argue the majority didn't. The majority stayed at home and just chilled, relaxed. But then on top of that, God's grace, mercy, love, and provision for the home of Lydia, her household, in the baptism of those in her household. And then at the same time, provision for this entourage of godly men. Because now they have a place to stay. They're staying in somebody's house. Instead of sleeping outside, you know, on the rocks, they're going to sleep in somebody's house. I have to tell you something about a calling of the Lord. You heard me say a little while ago about the details. Sometimes he'll say, okay, point A to point B. And, you know, the question is, are you going to be obedient to go to point B? And sometimes he'll give you in, in the in-betweens, in between point A and point B, he'll give you A-2, A.3, A.4. He'll give you minute details and you follow those. But then sometimes, you know, in these generalities, when he says, I'm going to get you from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E to point F. I think I had the order right. The carnal mind says, how in the world is that going to happen? That's impossible. How is this accomplished? I can't. I don't have the money to do it. That's what happens with modern day missionaries. They say, oh, the Lord has called me over here. You know, hey, can I meet with you? And you're talking to them on the phone. What do you, you know, how do you like it in Zimbabwe? Oh, I'm not there yet. What are you doing? You're tell, you told me the Lord called you to Zimbabwe. Why are you here? Oh, I need money. I need to, you know, have provision. I need to, you know, it's going to cost me a thousand bucks to get there. And when I'm there, I need to pay for food. So that's going to be like 200 bucks a month, you know. And then I also need my health insurance, which is going to cost me another 200 bucks a month. And then, you know, this is a calling of the Lord, but I'm also concerned about retirement. So I want to fund my you know, my IRA. So I'm going to need another, you know, 300 bucks a month for that. And, you know, there, all these other things, I want these expenses for, you know, car, gas money. So I'm going to need another, you know, $300 a month. So, you know, do you want to be a part of the work of the Lord and give me 500 bucks a month? It's like, what? That's carnality. I know it pains you to hear me say that. Whoa, how dare you call this missionary carnal? Well, I am the modern day missionary. Because when the Lord calls you, a lot of times, and evidence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when the Lord calls you, the majority of the time, and I would argue about 93% of the time, He gives absolute zero details. 90, maybe 95% of the time. But I would say about 93% of the time. I haven't really mapped it out. 
but I would say about 93, 95% of the time. Maybe even 97 if I'm pushing it. He doesn't give details. He just says go. Just like he did with Jonah. He just says go. And who are the ones who go? Jonah was reluctant. And we saw what happened to him. A lot of times the provision of the Lord comes during. Real time. That's why I say here we're seeing real time provision of the Lord. Paul, Luke, Silas, Timothy. The Lord is providing for them through Lydia. The Lord has provided through, for Lydia through Paul and these small group of guys. The provision of the Lord. That's the manifold grace of God. His handiwork. It's multifaceted. To say multifaceted doesn't even do him justice. Because it's, I don't know if there's a word for, I mean, multi could be, you know, a whole bunch of different things. Hence the name multi. But if there's a word for multi, which means like a trillion, that I would use that word. I don't know if there is such a word. But the trulty-faceted. That's how the Lord works. Real-time picture of God's provision. Now this small group of guys has a place to stay. You see, and Liddy, she was forceful. She compelled them. You know, that's what, I, I love her so much because you know you hear me say from time to time, I don't want to compel anybody in their walk with the Lord, which is true. I don't. I don't. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But, you know, you see biblical examples of compulsion too. <laughs> Mostly it's by the Lord. Mostly it's by the Holy Spirit. But in this case, it's by Lydia. <laughs> Tough cookie. Tough cookie, this beautiful Lydia. That's why I say like all the single guys, if there's any single men listening, young boys, young teenagers, you know, young men who are still single. I shouldn't say still single. Young men who are single. You know, let the Lord show you what beautiful is. Let the Lord show you. If you let the world show you what beauty is, you know, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> you're going to be surprised the day after your wedding day. If your wedding day is on, you know, a Saturday or whatever, that Sunday you're going to have the surprise of your life. You know, it's such a trip because when you let the Lord show you what beauty is, man, it's like, that's what endures. That's what endures. And if you are single, you know, and you love the Lord, and it's like, wow, you know what? You want to serve the Lord without any hindrance? Praise be to the Lord. You will be married one day. You will have a husband one day. Male, female, you will have a husband one day. And when I say male, female, because in Christ there's no male. You know, I've had men tell me, don't you feel weird saying that you, you know, you're gonna, you, you have a husband? Don't you feel weird referring to yourself as a bride? Answer, no. Absolutely not. I feel no weirdness about referring to myself as the bride of Christ. None. That alone reveals carnality, you know, when it's like you have this mindset of like, 
I don't want to be the bride of Christ. You know, I'm a man. I don't want to be the bride of Christ. Well, that's, that reveals your carnality. It reveals an old nature. Because in Christ, there's no male, female. We're all one in Christ. And when I say one in Christ, I mean one in Christ in accordance with sound doctrine, the doctrine of His Holy Word. You hear Catholics say, yeah, we're one in Christ. No, I'm not one with that. That's false doctrine. You hear Mormons say, yeah, we're one in Christ. You worship a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. You hear Methodists say, yeah, we're one in Christ. What's the matter with you? It's like, there's nothing wrong with me. If you want to be one with Christ, then get yourself in the Word of God. Be obedient to sound doctrine, His teaching, the Word of God. Not that craziness. You see, it, it. people get on my case a lot. That's too hardcore. That's too hardcore. Okay. Well, don't be cold. Don't be lukewarm. You see? And so all of a sudden, you see here in verse 15, she and her household were baptized. And, you know, I kind of have to, you know, for my sisters listening to this message to say that she kind of reminds me of a female Cornelius, scratch that. Because she's not a Cornelius, she's Lydia. The same way you're not a Cornelius, you're you. You know, when you have the reverence for the Lord, when you have the, you adore the Lord and you're devoted and you worship the Lord, you're you, He sees you. And then you lend, you give your ear, not just lend your ear, you give your ear to holy things, holy teachings from the Word of God. And just like Lydia, the Lord opened her heart, the Lord can open your heart too. And the Lord will open your heart. It's to say, and receive Jesus Christ. Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be born again. You say, how does that happen? How do I do that? Well, you know, hit pause here. Well, maybe listen. Well, you hit pause here. And then listen to our, our there's a little message, like a little five-minute message. How to be born again. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen to that. And then pray. Pray the prayer that's in there. Be born again. You know, and then, you know, when you're done listening to that message, then come back and then listen to this one where we left off here in verse 15. So I love Lydia so much. She says to, the, to Paul, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. It wasn't really like a, a question. She's kind of like saying, hey, you guys are going to stay at my house. You know what she's doing? Number one, you see a picture of her desire to serve the Lord. But then you see also see her openness to their judgment. It says a lot about Lydia. Who leaves themselves open to judgment? She straight up says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Who says that? 
Who opens themselves up? Who exposes their vulnerability? And I have to say, you know, that I can't say it's an easy thing to do. Because you see people who are sheltered and reserved, but, you know, they're not that way for nothing. A lot of times the past has done that. And when I say the past has done that, it's by wicked men and wicked women. They are victims to fallen man, victims to fallen woman. And as a result, they become more sheltered. Their heart can be hard. But before the Lord, you see this beautiful aspect of Lydia where she's exposing herself like exposing her vulnerabilities. Go ahead, Paul. Go ahead, Luke. Go ahead, Silas. Go ahead, Timothy. You judge. You make the determination. And if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. No, no. I insist you stay at my house. No, no, no. Here, let me have your luggage. You're staying at my house, guys. You see? And, you know, it makes you wonder more about Lydia. Lydia. She's from Thyatira, which is, you know, revealed in, in, in uh, the previous verse. You know, in verse 14. She's from Thyatira. And yet here she's near Philippi and she's saying, hey guys, come stay at my house. I have to tell you something that's very common among business people. Sometimes they have multiple houses. Well, they'll have a house where, you know, the family stays, where they consider, you know, home where they relax. But then they'll have a, a, another house which is closer to their business, closer to the, the hub of uh, transactions. So, like, you know, you'll have a, a person who... You know, maybe has a house out in the country where the family is, where they raise their kids. Maybe they have animals. And it's kind of like a more reserved life. But then they'll also have a home that is, you know, closer to the hub of business operations. Close to the hustle bustle. Because they'll go into town, they'll work, you know, and... You know, have their employees that work. And then, you know, some cases they have like a little studio apartment in the big city. Or like a condo in the city. Or they just have a place to stay. A place to lay their head at night. And then when business is done, they'll work there for a week or so. Work there for a couple weeks. And then they'll go off and then they'll go back to their, you know, their other home. That's what I see when I see Lydia. I get a little picture of that. She's from Thyatira, except she has a home here in the region of Philippi. Remember, she's a seller of purple. Very wealthy clientele. People who could afford her product. You see this in the world today, you see this class warfare. You know, where people talk about wealth inequality. That's evil. That's evil. Not the wealth inequality. I mean, there's aspects of that that isn't right, especially when you read the, the Old Testament and the minor prophets, you know, where the Lord says, hey, don't forget the poor people. Help the poor people. There's provisions in the law to help the poor people. 
There's provisions in the law for, you know, poor people don't have to sacrifice an ox. They can't afford an ox. They sacrifice a turtle dove. Still without blemish, not just some mangy old pigeon that can't fly. There's still provision for poor people. The Lord does it. The Lord expects His people to do it. The Lord expects you to do it. Remember, more blessed it is to give than it is to receive. But it's wicked to take. That's wickedness. It's wicked to take. So if you're wealthy, if you're blessed with money, if the Lord has blessed you with, you know, money, be generous. Be generous. It's not a not a command like you must be generous or you're gonna burn in hell. Remember, Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, you know, you could have kept you could have kept your properties. It was yours, you could have kept it in your name, everything would have been fine and dandy. And so if you're blessed with money and finances, you can keep it. But you know what's much better for your heart? is to be open and generous. Be open to the leading of the Lord and being generous. With the funds that He gave you, with he, that He blessed you with. And say, wow, you know what? There's a poor family over here. Here, you know, I'll pay your groceries. You know, oh, there's a poor family over here. Let's come out to dinner. Let's go out to dinner together. You know, and it's not about food. It's like, you know, a poor family over here. Hey, I'm going to pay your rent this month. Being generous. Don't forget the poor people. Don't forget the widow. Don't forget the orphan. So you see this business lady, Lydia. Tough cookie. Tough cookie. He drives a hard bargain. Godly woman. As defined by the word of God. You see, she's beautiful. So you hear me say these beautiful men in the Bible, beautiful women in the Bible, to the single people who, you know, seek companionship. This is a hardcore message for you. To say, let the Lord define what beauty is. Let the Lord show you what beauty is. Because the world's brand of beauty, it's a piece of cake. I'm an artist. You know, I haven't dabbled with paints very much lately. I used to a lot. People would offer to buy my stuff. And I never really pursued it. But I can take the ugliest canvas and make it beautiful. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sounding prideful in saying that. I don't want to sound prideful in saying that. But I'm trying to tell you a point. You know, if you follow what the world calls beautiful, <laughs> you know, the day after your wedding day, you know, surprise. And, you know, that's not a knock on females either. It's not, a, I mean, if you're a sister in Christ, you know, that's not a knock on you either. Because when the Lord shows you what beautiful is, you're going to desire. If you're a young female, you're like, wow, you know what? I want to be like Lydia. You know what? I want to be like Hannah. You know, I want to be like Mary. All these people that the young generation can aspire like, wow, you know what? I can be like this. Look what the Lord did with Mary. Look what the Lord did with Lydia. Look what the Lord did with Hannah. And, you know, a young boy, look what the Lord did with Samuel. 
You know, look what the Lord did with Timothy. Maybe he can do it with me too. Imagine being a 10-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl, an 18-year-old boy, 22-year-old girl. Wow, you know, the Lord did it with these people. Maybe he'll do it with me too. See, all these things which are building blocks, which you can instill in the next generation of righteousness. When the world defines what beautiful is, you're going to be in trouble. Big, big trouble. When you strive to have beauty like the world, it's fading. You're going to be in trouble because your eyes are going to be off the Lord. So look what happens here. If you have judged me to be faithful, she says to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now you see in verse 16, a little oppression, a little bit of spiritual warfare starts to rise. Look at verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit for 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 fortune much profit by fortune telling so let's let's look at this verse 16 so you have a slave girl you know that alone rubs me the wrong way because you know modern day slave girls isn't pretty you know just look at the sex trafficking of sex sex trafficking of today it's very big business a lot of the cartels, you know, in the 80s, he's talk, talked about, you know, you hear a lot about drug trafficking in the early 90s, drug trafficking. And then the rise of the Internet age, it started to transition. There's still drug trafficking, but then it became sex trafficking. You know, the uh, slavery. So here you see this, you know, this slave girl who's possessed with a spirit of divination. Now, this spirit of divination has a name. Python is the name. Python. Python in the Greek. But it's the spirit of Python. It's a serpent god. The son of Gaia. You know who Gaia is? The goddess. Also known as Mother Earth. Mother Earth. You hear a lot of people talk about Mother Earth. A lot of native cultures reference Mother Earth. A lot of liberals today reference Mother Earth. The Pope references Mother Earth. It's demonic. The worship of creation instead of the creator. It's a sign of the last days. Python. That's who this girl is possessed with, the spirit of Python. Python in the Greek. The spirit of divination says she met us. So there was a little encounter. Who brought her masters much profit profit by fortune telling. So these are like her spiritual pimps. And I hate to say it that way. And I don't I know that might rub you the wrong way. Like, man, why do you say it like that? Well, when I read this, you know, you, you see, you know, these, uh, her masters, you know, she's a slave girl. She has masters who make them profit. The first thing that comes to mind is a pimp. Spiritual pimp. Because of money. Yeah, I don't care that this girl is possessed by Python. She's making me money. 
So yeah, let's, you know, she's our slave. Let's put her to work so we can make more money and more money. See, love of money. Money is not evil. It's the love of money, which is evil. Look at Lydia. You know, she had money. She didn't love money. Look at uh, um, Barnabas. He had money. She didn't love money, or he didn't love money. Look at these spiritual pimps. They love money. And they have their slave girl. And they're profiting off her possession, her demon possession. Possessed by Puthon. Possessed by Python, who's the serpent god, the son of Gaia, who's, you know, a spirit goddess. Mother Earth, which is demonic. Never forget that because, you know, you're going to have encounters with liberals in this world that we live in today. You know, everybody's concerned about Mother Earth. Everybody's concerned about global warming. You know, it's not to say that I'm not concerned about global warming. But when I read about the prophecies in the Bible, I don't call it global warming. I call it God's coming wrath. I call it the signs of the times. When you see earthquakes and floods, pestilence. You look at the world today, what do they call it? Global warming. So it's not that I'm against global warming for the sake of saving Mother Earth. I'm very concerned with what the world calls global warming. Except I call it signs of the times. Earthquakes. Volcanic activity, pestilence, it's going to get worse and worse. Hail storms, it's going to get worse and worse. The hail is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Remember our study in Revelation? The heat, it's going to intensify. So the world's going to call it global warming. The scientists are going to call it global warming. It's very interesting how you read these things in the Bible, these Old Testament and New Testament prophecies, signs of the coming of Jesus Christ, and what does the world want to do? They want to prevent those things. Very interesting where you see the world is cited. It's the spirit of the Antichrist who wants to prevent the coming king. But he's coming. All these things are prophesied. So this girl, this slave girl who is possessed by Puthan, the serpent god, and she has her spiritual pimps who are making money off of her. In verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us. So translates as she, she closely uh, uh, tailing them, this holy entourage. She's like right on their tail. And cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She's saying that, which is true, except it's mockery. She's making a mockery out of it. That's what she's doing. Remember, she's possessed by the serpent God. And she's making a mockery of these vessels of the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 18. And this she did for many days. And so it wasn't just like one time. 
It was time after time after time, day after day after day. And she kept saying it. You know, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She's using truth, except it's out of mockery. Verse 18 says, but Paul, greatly annoyed. Pause there for a moment. Greatly annoyed. Non-stop mocking, non-stop harassment, non-stop tailing of this godly entourage, non-stop yakking. Wouldn't that be annoying? Wouldn't that be, Have you ever been annoyed by these people? It's annoying. It's annoying. And in the flesh, you just want to say, shut up. That's the flesh. Remember, she's demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. And this serpent God is exploiting a carnal response. You know this serpent God? How, how much he would have loved Paul to say, Shut up, you idiot. Think about if he said that. And I'm not implying that he... I don't want to imply anything that isn't doctrinally sound. But you get a picture of the baiting that the, demon, the demonic wants. Spiritual baiting. Exploiting the flesh. The desire to exploit the flesh. That's how you know you're fighting against things that are unseen. That's how you know you're fighting a spiritual war, a spiritual fight, is when you see these demon-possessed people. You say, what do you mean demon-possessed? You mean like like the movies, you know, you see? Yeah, I don't watch those movies, just so you know. I, when, when I was a non-believer, I saw these scary movies about the demon possession. So it's not, when I say like the movies, it's not like a movie I saw yesterday. It's a movie I saw like, you know, 30 years ago. I, I can only imagine it's much worse today. But it's not like the movies. Look at all the people today who worship Gaia. Who worship Mother Earth. Who worship creation instead of the creator. It's demonic. They'll even get on your case. Oh, you know, why don't you get a Prius, you know, save the environment. Why are you using these products, you know, save the environment. Why don't you do this? Save the trees. Why don't you do this? You know, help fight global warming. And this liberal mentality. It's demonic. Remember, you know, it's you, people say, oh, you're not going to join me in my fight against global warming. It's to say, well, you're talking about global warming. You're talking about increased earthquakes. You're talking about increased flooding. You're talking about increased hurricanes. You're talking about increased cyclones. You're talking about increased pestilence. You're talking about the heat index rising. And you call it global warming and you want me to fight that? I call it the signs of the times. Repent and be born again. But no, these people, they'll annoy you, annoy you, annoy you, annoy you. And you know what the demon inside of them wants? He wants a carnal response. You know, get out of my face, girl, you stupid thing. Think about what that does, what that immediately does to your witness before the Lord. 
when people see it and people hear it. You're being baited, Christian. Hey, Christian, you're being baited by a demon. Awaken, be awake, be wise to these things. Protect your heart, protect your witness, because your witness glorifies the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, God. can you imagine what if Paul turned around and punched her in the face, knocked her out? What would that have said of his witness? You know, and I'm speaking about my own carnality. Because, man, I would be, if I was in that situation, I would be tempted. Hey, girl, shut up. Get out of my face. Or she's so annoying. And get in my face. It's like, you know, knock her out. I mean, you know, speaking carnally. But it's like, that's what, that's what Satan wants. That's what the demon world wants. They want you to respond in the carnal. They want to exploit your carnal nature. That's how you know it's spiritual. That's how you know it's demonic. Anytime. Okay, let me tell you something about spiritual warfare. And this only applies when you're in sound doctrine. And this only applies when you're heeding the Word of God in your life and applying the Word of God in your life. And there's, you know, maybe people are calling you a dumb legalist. Maybe people are telling you you're taking Jesus Christ too far. And any time an individual is annoying you, I tell you the truth, it's demonic. It's a demon that wants to exploit and awaken your carnal nature. You have to understand these things. You must understand these facts for the last days. Because it's like, I don't want you to lose your oil. You need that oil for the last days. You need holy oil for your lamp in the last days. And carnal, the carnal nature, it like, it puts a hole in your bag of oil. And that's what Satan wants. That's what these demons want. They want to expose your carnal nature and poke holes in your bag of oil. Don't let them. Don't let them. Remember, she's possessed by a demon. She's a slave girl. She's under physical oppression in her, you know, being a slave girl. She's also under spiritual oppression. Being possessed. This poor girl. I wonder what happened in her life. I wonder what happened to her life to get her to this point. I don't know. All my thoughts, all my ideas, they're conjecture at, at this point. But I wonder. 
What is it in her life that altered her heart to the point where that door of the demonic realm became open? Where that door of slavery became open? Maybe she was born in slavery. I don't know. But it kills me to think of young people today who are slaves. You know, a lot of it is, you know, maybe they're pimped out. Young boys, young girls. But then what about when the spiritual door opens and it's a double whammy? There's the demonic oppression. Not just oppression, straight up possession. I wonder what it is that got this little girl's heart. I shouldn't say little girl, but this girl's heart. Slave girl. What happened in her life to get get her to that point where the door to the demonic was opened? That's why this act of parenting, this sacrifice of parenting, this service unto the Lord of parenting, it's a huge deal. We looked at Timothy last week. And you see the building blocks that were set up for Timothy. And it was so beautiful in terms of what it led to a future pastor. But I think parents sometimes, it kills me sometimes. I shouldn't say sometimes, it kills me 100% of the time. When a guy just thinks, okay, you know, I'm going to have sex with this girl. And if, you know, she's going to get pregnant and you know what, I'll just pay child support. And I'll go get another girl pregnant. 100% of the time it kills me. Because you see these kids, they grow up, they're born, they're raised, and then sometimes you see the mom, they say, you know, they, they use the kid as like, you know, a, a bank account. You know, I get child support, I'm going to have another kid, and I get, you know, more child support, and I get all this help from the state, I get all this help from the government. You know, more food stamps, all the, you know, all these things, I get more housing allowance, Section 8 housing, I'm going to have more kids, more Section 8. And they vote accordingly. And it's all wrong. All of it is wrong. You could look at the mom's mentality, wrong. You could look at the dad's mentality, super wrong. And just go, you know, have sex and then, you know, go off to the next. Sex with one, sex with two, sex with three, you know. Look at the child. Look at the child who's raised up in this environment. Wow, all I am is just a, what am I? My mom doesn't show me love. My dad doesn't show me love. All of a sudden, you know, the girl meets a guy. You know, he shows me love, which isn't even love. The dad set the bar so low. The mom set the bar super low. So anybody who says, you know, uh, you want a Twinkie? Uh, you know, all of a sudden she's like, wants to marry the guy. Mom and dad set the bar super low. What about if you have an absentee dad? There is no bar. The bar is like ground level. So any guy who's just going to say, you know, what time is it? She's going to think like, it's like, wow, this is my husband. This is, you know, this is this guy is showing me love. He talked to me. 
this guy is showing me love, you know, he, you know, gave me a glass of water. Don't set the bar low, parents. Never, ever, ever set the bar low. Show your kids love. Give them love. Blanket them with your love. Cover them with your love. Give them the Lord. So I wonder all these things. What what opened to the door for... I mean, it's terrible that she was in slavery. I don't know if she was born into slavery. I don't know. I don't know the conditions that wrapped, you know, around her to get her to this point of slavery. But to make matters worse, the door was open to the demonic realm. And she's demon-possessed. And I don't want to come off as sounding, you know, I have sympathy for the devil. But to make the distinction, when you come across these demon-possessed people, because you will, especially in the last days, and a sure identifier of the demon realm is, you know, that th- those things that I mentioned. And write this down. Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind. And it only applies when you are number one in the word. Sound doctrine. Not, you know, when I say in the word, that doesn't mean, you know, reading, you know, Joe McSchmuckatelli study Bible. I'm talking about the word of God. Not the word of man. And not, you know, the latest bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm not talking about these writings of men and women. I'm talking about the Word of God. So you're in the Word of God. You're heeding the Word of God. You're applying the Word of God in your life. You're striving for righteousness. Your, your prayer life is on point. I shouldn't say on point, but you have a prayer life. It could always be more. You revere the Lord. You adore the Lord. You're devoted to the Lord. You worship the Lord just like Sister Lydia, Sister Liddy. You're obedient to the Lord. You honor Him. You make choices to honor Him. And then any time, if, if you could put a check mark to all those things, you know, if you can't put a check mark to all those things, you're not equipped. If you can put a check mark next to those things, you are equipped. And you must understand that any time you encounter a person that desires to exploit the carnal nature and awaken the carnal nature, awaken the old man, awaken the old woman in you, that's a surefire way to know this is demonic. That person is demon-possessed. If not demon-possessed, demon-influenced. There are other indicators to know if this person is demon-possessed or demon-influenced. But it's not of the Lord. So what do you do? What do you do? Look at Paul, what happens here in verse 18. You remember, she's bugging them for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, not just annoyed, greatly annoyed. Have you ever been greatly annoyed by somebody? I have. 
sometimes I just have to walk away because it's like, you know what? I'm going to be carnal. You know, I'm five minutes away from being carnal. I'm two minutes away from being carnal. I'm 10 seconds away from being carnal. I got to run, get out of there. People say, oh, you're so weak. Why are you going to run? You're such a chicken. You know what I'm afraid of? Me. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. I don't want that old nature to awaken. I don't want that old man to wake up again. I don't want Satan to resurrect that old man. He'll try. The same way he'll try with you. But no, what happens when that old man, when that old woman is reckoned dead and you're carrying your cross? The Lord will equip you. The Lord will help you. And sometimes when the Lord helps you, it's straight up running away. I got to get out of Dodge just like Joseph. I'm out of here. Turn around. I'm out of here. Sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit will help you. And sometimes you're you're, going to have a helper in life. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be somebody close to you. It might be a friend. But they're going to help you. They're going to understand, well, this guy, my brother, my sister has problems with drugs. The Lord rescued him from drugs. The Lord rescued him from alcohol. The Lord rescued him from, you know, violence. The Lord rescued her from, you know, drugs, the crack pipe. So you know what, brother? You know what, sister? I'm going to help you. Helpers come in all shapes and sizes. Biblical helpers. Christians. The body of Christ. The koinonia. The ecclesia. You see how beautiful this is? Paul is greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, pause there for a moment. He didn't talk to the girl. He did not talk to the girl. Carnally speaking, if we were like in a time machine, we go back in time and we see this precise moment in time and we see this encounter, we would see with our carnal eyes that Paul is speaking to the girl. But if we take off our spiritual eyes and put in or our carnal eyes and put in our spiritual eyes, we would see and understand and know that Paul is talking to the Spirit. Very important to make that distinction. Because remember, in ministry, especially if you're a teacher of the Bible, you're a butcher. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, read our studies through the through Leviticus. Leviticus 1 through 7. Chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 7. Listen to those sermons. You'll understand exactly what I'm talking about when I say you're a butcher. When you're in ministry, when you teach the Bible, you're a butcher. And this is part and parcel what Paul is doing is what Paul is doing here. He's showing us what it means to be a butcher in accordance with the new covenant. Because carnally speaking, he's talking to the girl. Spiritually speaking, he's speaking to the spirit. 
He's greatly annoyed. That's what I love about Paul. You know, you see his carnality even. He's annoyed. Don't get down on yourself when you're annoyed. Don't get down on yourself when you have the human condition, when you're in the human emotion. Anger for me, anger is a big issue. It's not that I get angry easily. I guess I get angry easily. I just have a small fuse. I have a short fuse. Not that that's a bad, I mean, not that that's a good thing either, but I wish it were longer. It used to be really long, but certain events led to it being shorter and shorter. And that's, that's the thorn in my side. That's what I'm going to carry for the rest of my life. Well, you know, if, unless the Lord, you know, the Lord might say otherwise, but I'm content with that. Fully and completely content with it. In fact, what I used to hate, I used to hate it. I kind of still hate it. But at the same time, I kind of still love it. I kind of love it. It's that interesting dichotomy of a thorn. You know why? Because it'll keep you on your knees before the Lord. It keeps me on my knees before the Lord. Just like it kept, you know, Paul's thorns, it kept him on, the, on, on his knees before the Lord. And the Lord says, Paul, I'm not going to take that thorn out. That's what the Lord told Paul. I'm going to keep that thorn right where it is. You know why? Because my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Paul, of all people, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord tells him. So don't be overly down and out when you have these conditions of the human experience, such as anger. Because the Lord shows you how to deal with anger. The Lord will teach you how to deal with anger. The Lord will show you what to do when you're angry. He will equip you. He will train you. Don't be down on yourself if you, you know, have an issue with being annoyed. Paul was annoyed. He was not just annoyed. Paul was greatly annoyed. It's part of the human experience. Paul is experiencing being greatly annoyed the same way you have experienced being greatly annoyed. Don't get down in the dumps. If People tell you you're overly sensitive. You know, you need thicker skin. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. The Lord doesn't make any mistakes, my friend. He knows exactly what He's doing. He formed you. Don't get down on yourself when you have lust. You know why? The Lord equips you. He teaches you. It's part of the human experience. And in this equipping, in this teaching, don't forget, at the same time, you're also being transformed by renewing of your minds. Because you physically are being obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, spiritually you are, and you're also taking every thought into the captivity of Christ. And so you might be, you know, have issues with lust. Put up the shield. Pick up the sword. And while you're doing that, the Lord is transforming your mind. Where all of a sudden, it's like, not to say you put your shield and sword down. 
but what was less, once lustful, you're no longer having those lusts because you are a new creation in Christ. People always say, I'm a new creation, so, you know, therefore I'm alive in Christ. Okay, that's true. But there's, you know, stipulations to that. It's not just to say, well, you know, I'm alive in Christ, I'm a new creation, so, you know, let's go out and do some crack. No. That's the old nature. The one that should be reckoned dead, the one that should be crucified with Christ. Very important to understand these things for the last days, for the last days fight, for the last days battle, for the last days war. It is imperative to understand these things because Gaia worship. The worship of creation, it's on the rise. It's on the rise. Among other things, this is one of them that's on the rise. And so Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He says directly to the serpent God, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, this serpent god, this demon that was possessing this slave girl, he thought he was in control. And, you know, to be frank, you know, he was in control underneath that hierarchy. He was in control. But there's a higher authority. The name, the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know what? I command you. Not just, Paul's not, you know, saying, I command you, like, you know, I am all powerful. Paul's not saying that. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. You see? James chapter 2, verse 19. Even the demons believe. And tremble. There's a hierarchy in the spirit realm. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They know it. Satan knows it. He just doesn't want people to know it. The things demonic, Satan himself, they don't want people to know it. He doesn't want Christians to understand it. He likes baby Christians. He likes Christians on milk. I mean, what if I tell you, hey, you're going to go to war. You're going to have to fight you know, a uh, 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 hundred humans. You say, whoa, that's impossible. How am I going to fight a hundred? I need a tank. I need a tank. I need a, you know, fully automatic, high rate, rate of, uh, uh, you know, rapid rate of fire. This is what I need for my arsenal. And then I say, oh, by the way, everybody, they're uh, six months old. It's laughable. I don't mean to suggest, you know, anything, you know, crazy, but it's like six months old, it's not even a fight. It's a joke. Well, that's what Satan wants out of Christians. He doesn't mind that you're a Christian. He just wants you to be a six-month-old Christian. 
a baby Christian, a young Christian. He's even okay with a toddler Christian. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to matriculate. He doesn't want you to understand these deep spiritual things. You know why? Because he loses 100% of the time. Because there's a higher authority over him. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Even the demons believe and tremble. I have to tell you something. It's beautiful that you see a picture here of Paul engaging in spiritual warfare, engaging in combat. But I give you a strong warning. Strong, strong warning. Turn with me to Acts 19 really quick. Here in Acts 19, verse 13. Acts 19, 13. Says then some of the itinerant, translates as wandering, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So you see, there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ that these Jewish exorcists have. They took it upon themselves. To call the name of Jesus Christ. To call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And they say, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there, also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. So not just these Jewish exorcists, but one of the chief priests was doing it as well. You think at the onset, if we were to take a time machine, and go to this particular moment in Acts 19, we would see virtually the same thing. Paul saying, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus to come out of her. And then, you know, these people, the high priest and the Jewish exorcist saying, come out of, you know, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Virtually the same thing, not word for word verbatim, but with carnal eyes, eyes of the flesh. We're seeing virtually the same thing. Except look what happens when you put in your spiritual eyes. Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? You see how hardcore this is? Who are you? It's not just invoking the name of Jesus Christ. You have to have Jesus Christ inside of you. You have to be abiding in Him and Him in you. It's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your mind. Are you taking every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, are you meditating on these things or are you meditating on the strip clubs? Are you meditating on the crack pipe? Are you meditating on the meth and alcohol? Maybe not just meditating, maybe using and partaking of those things. Well, 
if that is you and you're playing games with the Lord and you invoke the name of Jesus Christ to a demon, you're in trouble. You will be in trouble. In verse 16, look what happens here. Still in Acts 19. Then the men, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. When you engage in spiritual warfare, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, I, I, I like a fight, you know. It's, I, in, in my old nature, I used to love a good fight. In my spiritual nature, I still love a good fight. But you can't play games. You remember a couple weeks ago in our study in Leviticus? I think it was Leviticus 5. Might have been 6, but I think it was maybe 6 or 5. I'm old. It could have been 7. But in our study in Leviticus, I made a challenge to you. And I said, from this point forward, consider your life, the entirety of your life, as an aroma before the Lord. And what do you want to present to him? What do you want the Lord to smell? Do you want him to smell stench? Is that what you want to present to the Lord? The creator of all things? The one who sent his son to die for you? Or do you want your life's aroma to be sweet to him? This act of obedience to the Lord Stupid carnal people, foolish carnal people, unwise carnal people will call you a legalist. They'll make fun of you. You're going too far with this Jesus business. You're going too far with this time in your Bible. Come on, come hang out with us. Oh, what's that? You want to spend time in the Word? You want to read your Bible? Oh, you know, let me join you. I'll bring, you know, Josh McSchmuckatelli Study Bible. I'll bring this book I'm reading. You can read it. The very act of obedience is protection for your soul. Look at what the demon world said. Look at what this evil spirit said. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who in the world are you? And then look what happened. The Spirit overpowered them and prevailed against them. And they fled. Instead of making a stand and fighting, they fled. You know why they fled? They were ill-equipped. No personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No obedience to Jesus Christ. No knowledge of Jesus Christ and the full counsel of His Holy Word. And they were ill-equipped. This is a hardcore message for the last day's church, for the last day's Christian, for the Christian of today. Because it's going to get more dangerous to be a Christian. Right now, people don't like you. If you're you know, a hardcore Christian, if you're on fire, for, if you're a hot Christian... You're not cold, you're not lukewarm, you're hot. 
If you're a hot Christian, it's going to get more dangerous for you from this day forward. It's one of the signs of the last days. Because you stand for truth. You stand for righteousness. You stand for Jesus Christ. And the world hated him first. And nobody is enduring sound doctrine. And a man of peace is going to come on the scene. And when you speak negatively about this man of peace and you say, you know what? I think this guy is evil. I think this guy is the son of perdition. Be careful with this guy. It's not really revealed yet. But I don't like where this is going. It's going to get even worse for you. So much so that in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, three and a half years after the signing of the peace treaty, the peace agreement with Israel and her neighbors, this man of peace, so-called man of peace, will be officially and biblically identified as the Antichrist. And he'll go start his killing spree. To the Jew first and then the Christian. He'll begin his killing spree. And when you stand for truth, when you stand for righteousness, and when you stand for Jesus Christ, right now, you know, you're like a punching bag for those who are perishing, for the wicked. But when that time comes, you're going to be a target. Crosshairs. They're going to want to kill you. And in accordance with the word of God, the Antichrist will prevail against the saints for a time, times, and half a time. The Antichrist will prevail. As prophesied. But I'm telling you today about spiritual warfare and how to fight. A big indicator is your carnal nature. Who is it or what is it that stirs up that carnal nature? Who is it that helps you in your carnal nature? Those are identifiers of friend and foe. And when I say foe, I don't mean against the flesh. I mean foe against the spirit, in the spirit realm. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are, are not carnal. They're very spiritual. That's the battlefield. And so, you know, going back to Acts 16, Paul was greatly annoyed. You see, it's a little picture of his nature, a little picture of his carnal side. Greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, to the spirit. He had his right eyes on. I command you in the name of, of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. I love this aspect of spiritual warfare. Because you see Paul on offense. You see Paul in a defensive posture, but Paul is on offense. And that comes with a very, very Hardcore warning. What we just read in Acts 19. 
You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must abide in Jesus Christ. You must obey His Word. You must have your ears tuned to His Spirit. Because this battle is going to intensify. Straight up. I meant when the enemy's at a distance, you know, you just have your rifles with you. When you get closer, the command is given. Affix bayonets. And that's the command I'm giving today. Affix bayonets. Because it's going to be straight up hand-to-hand combat. You must understand these things for the last days. I remember, you know, our pastor told us a story once. Our pastor in California was a chaplain for LAPD. One of the chaplains in LAPD. And there was an instance where these cops, a group of cops, you know, a cop car came, you know, two cops in a car. They come to this house to make an arrest. An old lady. So they just figure, yeah, we'll pick her up after lunch. You know, no big deal. Got a full belly, but just an old lady, no biggie. They couldn't arrest this woman. They didn't have the strength to arrest this woman. Two cops, male cops. LAPD. LAPD, you see the, the, the PDs around Southern California, a lot of military guys. You know, a lot of, you know, Army, Navy, Marines. You got a lot of bases there, Air Force. A lot of military guys, people who are trained in warfare. LAPD. They could not arrest her, physically arrest her. They couldn't put her arms behind her back. An old lady, she's a little, little short thing. They could not put her arms behind her back. She was too strong for them. She overpowered them. So they called for backup. A couple more cops came. They could not arrest her. One of the cops says, we need to call the chaplains. So they called, one of them was my pastor in California, Southern California. And then, you know, the other one was another guy. And so these two pastors come in. They say, okay, cops, what's the situation? The, la- the old lady went back in her house. The two cops came, either, or the, 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 the cops came, gave them the deal, told the, the pastors the situation. Says, okay, here's the deal. We can't arrest this lady. And one of the cops was a Christian. You know, they said, we know this is spiritual. We understand that this is spiritual. So the pastor said, okay, you know, everybody stand aside, you know, step, you know, get at a distance. Because I'll tell you what happens, you know, this is what, you, when, when a demon leaves a person, that demon will look for who's the next person I can go into. That's what the demon is thinking. Who's the next vessel that I can possess? So when a demon leaves a person, he'll look for... That's why, you know, you see pastors, godly pastors, Christian pastors, you know, Christians. I'm not talking about, you know, the Catholic exorcists, the Catholic priests. You know, their doctrine is garbage. And I say that as a Christian, as a former Catholic, the Lord rescued me from that cult. If you're a Catholic and you're listening to this, Sorry, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it's true. I'm a former Catholic. The Vatican Councils, Vatican Vatican II, garbage in accordance with the Word of God. Don't pray to the Virgin Mary. You pray to Jesus Christ. You pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't pray to angels. So you see these Catholic priests, you know, they do this exorcism. There's TV shows about exorcism. I don't watch those shows. I don't want to bring this demonic stuff in my home. Things of the occult, I don't want them in my house. 
And so, you know, our pastor cleared the area, you know, he says, okay, cops, you know, step away, you know, go to your, you know, go a far distance. And so two pastors, you know, knock on the door, the old lady opens it and they straight up cast out the demon. And when I say these two pastors, these are pastors, like what the word of God says. These aren't, you know, pervert pastors. These aren't pastors who hit on the flock. These aren't pastors who have sex with the flock. These aren't pastors who are doing their pornography. These aren't pastors who are meth heads. These aren't pastors who are crackheads and alcoholics. These are godly men. The old lady opens the door. And they say exactly what Paul says here. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the demon left her. Little old lady. The demon left her. Where that demon went, I don't know. But he didn't go near the cops because the pastors told him, hey, cops, you know, you guys got to go away. And then so, you know, the demon came out of her. You have this little weak old lady, very gentle and fragile old lady who's free. No more demonic possession. And then two pastors are there to love on her. Hey, you were under, you know, demonic possession. Now that the demon is gone, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And then, you know, she becomes a Christian. She becomes a sister in Christ. Ministering to her, these two pastors, beautiful, beautiful men. And here this old lady is. Brand new, fresh believer in Jesus Christ. A daughter of the Most High. And the pastors call the cops. Okay, cops, we're done. Cops come in. Make the arrest. She still has to reap what she had sown. She has to reap. And the pastors told her this. Look, you know, we're going to call the cops. You're a sister in Christ. We're going to visit you. We're going to pray for you. But you still have to reap what you have sown. Because we're in this world. There's going to be paradise. To minister to this lady. Five minutes ago, demon possessed. And five minutes later, she's a sister in Christ. Call the cops. Okay, cops, we're done. Cops come in, walk up. You know, they're like entourage of cops. You know, like ready to, you know, rough her up. Because their experience, you know, she roughed them up. And the pastor said, hey, guys, you know, it's okay now. She's okay. She understands. You go instead of handcuffs behind the back, handcuffs in the front. You know, instead of sitting in the back seat, you can sit in the front seat. Or we're going to unmarked cruiser. You can sit in the front seat now. You're not a threat, physical threat. She's free in Christ. Still has to go through, you know, getting booked, incarceration, all those things to get to reap what she had sown. But she's a sister in Christ. That's what I'm talking about with spiritual warfare. Imagine what Paul just said, shut up, you idiot. Get out of my face. Leave us alone. What would that have done to his witness in Macedonia? Would people listen to him? I'm not going to listen to Paul. He's crazy. 
Remember, look at what he said to this lady, this girl, this poor slave girl who made these guys rich, her spiritual pimps, the ways of the world. But Paul, he was still greatly annoyed. It's not to say that you can't erase the human experience. He's still greatly annoyed. Except he addressed the Spirit, says, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. There's authority in the name of Jesus Christ. But in order to wield that sword, you must yield to the sword. In order to wield the sword, you must first yield to the sword. Never, ever, ever forget that. Because a lot of Christians get in trouble. They're little six-month-old baby Christians. And then they confront a demon-possessed person. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, come out of him. You know, they're doing exactly like the apostles did. And the evil spirit, I wonder if the evil spirit is saying out, crying out, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the world are you? That's the danger of hypocrisy. That's why I say, if you want to wield the sword, you must yield to the sword. If you want to wield the sword of the spirit, you must yield to the sword of the word of God. If there's no yielding in your life, you will lose the fight against the demonic. All things demonic in this spiritual battle. If you yourself do not yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Word, you will lose the fight. You will be, as we looked in, in chapter 19, you will be overpowered. And all things demonic will prevail against you. You must yield first. You read the Word of God and you must yield to Him. Catholic priests today. You see Catholic priests today say, yeah, I, I cast out these demons. And sometimes the demons will, you know, they play a game. It's part of the deception to get people to believe in Catholicism. You know, you see even so-called Christians today. They say, oh yeah, we cast out demons. We did all these things. We did it in accordance with the Bible, the Word of God. Yeah, we did all these things. But oh, I'm also a crackhead. You know, come to my church. We have, you know, a Bible study where we drink beer during happy hour. Oh yeah, our elder over here, you know, every once in a while he'll go to the strip club. But that's okay. You know, we're supposed to love. And the demons play a trick. They play a game. Well, they're, they'll, you know lighten the, their oppression on the vessel that they possess to make foolish people believe that God is doing a work to suck people into false doctrine. That's another lie of the last days. I shouldn't say a lie. It's another lie of the demonic realm. It's a sign of the last days. 
It's to steer people away from the truth of God's holy word. Today, it's kind of, we got, we're spoiled today. You know, the last day's church is kind of spoiled because there's all kinds of crazy people out there. All, there's all, you know, you have every different style of craziness out there. People on drugs, people on their prescription meds, they take their anxiety pills, they take their depression pills, they take their whatever, the, the doctor prescribes some kind of drug cocktail. You know, you have all these bipolar people everywhere you go. Crazies. You know, they're strung out on their alcohol. They're strung out on their drugs. They got all kinds of sexual addictions. There's no false, or there's no sound doctrine. There's false doctrine everywhere you go. It's all demonic. Demonically influenced. It's, it's influence of the demon realm. And for the people whose doors in their hearts are open to the things of the occult. Those are the ones who can be possessed. You see all this Gaia worship today? Mother Earth, Mother Earth this. Look who espouses Mother Earth. You know like the hardcore socialists? The liberals of today? The Pope? Some Protestants, Episcopals, Lutherans, Methodists. Oh yeah, Mother Earth, global warming, global warming. Let's save Mother Earth. Mother Earth is crying. Native cultures, Mother Earth, she's weeping. No, Father God is judging. Don't you ever go to a fight without a sword. That's what Satan wants. Don't you ever go into a fight without your sword. And in order to wield that sword, you must yield to the sword. I'll put it in another. another. In order to wield the sword of the Spirit, you must yield to the sword, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. You must yield to the sword of the Holy Word of God. Sound doctrine, Old Testament, New Testament, line upon line, precept upon precept, Verse upon verse. It's preparation for the last days. Where the cost of being a Christian will intensify. It is intensifying already. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. You think it's bad now? People calling you a legalist. People telling you they hate you. Maybe they don't tell you they hate you. Maybe they're talking behind your back. Ah, oh, this guy, this girl, what a dork. Can you believe they don't want to get high with me anymore? Can you believe they don't want to get drunk with me anymore? What a dork. Look at this world today. We need peace. All of a sudden, the man of peace comes on the scene. Oh, can't we all? Let's all just get along, you know, black people, white people, Asian people, you know, Buddhists, Methodists, Islamic people, you know, uh, people of the Torah. Let's just all get along this interfaithism. Oh, by the way, take this mark, put it on your hand or your forehead. Which some mainline Protestant teachers are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You could still be saved. Directly in contradiction to the Holy Word of God. Demonic. 
and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. The midpoint of the final seven years, that three and a half years into the seven years, right in the middle, the Antichrist is identified. And he'll give the order, you know what? All these, you know, these Jewish people, let's try to kill them. These Israel, let's come against them. And the Lord's going to protect Israel. The Lord will make a safe space for Israel. And then the Antichrist is going to give the second command. Okay, now let's kill the Christians. If they're not going to take the mark, if they're not going to take my mark, if they're not going to worship me, chop off their heads. Go ahead, give the command. Wherever you go, all these commanders around the globe, this unified globe, kill the Christians. Their opposition to peace, their opposition to safety. These are prophesied. All the events that are leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he comes and all the kingdoms of the world, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives and then he'll enter into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. All prophesied. You know, you have the uh, uh, Islamic ruler in uh, late 400s AD, uh, Salamani. And he made the cover, he put a, a cemetery there and he covered the Eastern Gate. Because he knew the prophecies and he wanted to prevent the prophecies from happening. So the, the main gate, the eastern gate, has this big old door. And a lot of people believe that when Jesus Christ comes from the eastern sky, he's going to come and he'll just break through those walls. Which he could. But I have a hunch. And I think I mentioned this before. I have a hunch. There's another gate there. It's not just a gate. It's a little door. And so there's another gateway there, which is on the eastern side of the Temple Mount. Will he enter that gate? I don't know. He could bust through the main gate. But he might just walk through the other side. <laughs> Not the other side. He's still on the east side. But he might. In fulfillment of the prophecies. And it's there where he'll be crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And all the kingdoms of the world will be given to Jesus Christ. You'll have your glorified body. And you'll rule, rule and reign with him might not be in Jerusalem. It might be here in, you know, the former United States. You know, speaking in the future tense. It might be in what was the former Russia. Former North Korea. Former Europe. Former Italy. But all the kingdoms of the world will be given to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Prophesied event. And the very start of it, the very start of the final seven years could be very soon. But before that happens, there's other things that happen to indicate that the seven year, the beginning of the seven years is imminent. Such things are no adherence to false, to sound doctrine. People, you know, heaping up for themselves, pastors who tickle their ears. Apostasy, rampant apostasy, love growing cold. Ethnos against ethnos. Earthquakes in various places. Pestilence. These are all signs, the events leading up to the last days of world history. Learn to fight. Yield to God's holy word. And then wield his word. We'll end our study here and pick up next week. Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.